What up, homies? Swizz here on this Thursday, September 8th. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan, the man in black, Johnny Cash from the Code Conference in California. This is Market Call in just a few short minutes, as they tend to be. EY from SoFi will be joining us. I'm letting you know now, sporting a lovely new dress, as I pointed out prior to the show. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right, all in one app. We're powered by Open Exchange. The Yankees were powered by playing the Minnesota Twins Midwest squad that since 2002, their record is something like 118 and 38. It's ridiculous what they've done to the Twinkies, but I know, Dan, you don't care. I hope you're well. You were svitzing yesterday on the show out there from code. I mean, Guy, it is hot as can be out here in L.A., nearly 100 degrees, and it's not been particularly comfortable to sit outside and listen at you on Fast Money and Excuse waiting me? for them to, yeah, you heard me, and waiting for them to come to me. Let's talk a little bit about some Fed speak. Guy, there is a new Fed whisperer in town, and his name is not Guy Adami. No. You know who it is. It's Nick Timoros. He's from the Wall Street Journal. He tweeted out yesterday morning that I thought this was really interesting. The choice of language was interesting because this is the big conundrum. We talked about it a lot on Market Call. We talk about it, it seems like, every night on, on Fast Money. The one thing that is not playing well is this low unemployment rate, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, it ticked up a little bit in that August number. But he's saying basically the Fed Chair Powell is going to go 75 at the meeting in two weeks here. And, you know, we've been talking about what does a Fed pivot look like, right? And so maybe they kind of do one more 75 and, and they cool off a little bit. Lael Brainer, the Fed vice chairwoman, she said at some point during the tightening cycle, the risk will become more two-sided, but the risk of tightening too much is a bit of a, a problem, I guess. The thoughts there, Guy Dami. Well, I mean, I thought you were going to say and his name is Reggie Hammond. Nobody yeah. has that on their bingo card, nope. but I digress. Here are my thoughts. I mean, what you're talking about is what they're hoping to be a soft landing. And, you know, they're trying to navigate this as best they can. And I will say, you know the way I feel about them, but I think they've done a pretty remarkable job under the circumstances. I mean, look what's going on in Europe. First time ever ECB raised 75 basis points anticipated yet. I mean, think about how dire things must be there with their economy Yet inflation is still such a problem that they felt it necessary to raise to that magnitude. So are they going to overshoot? Yes. But to your point, Dan, and I think this is really important, maybe there's a hope out there that they can go 75 and then the data continues to come out weak. Maybe you start to see unemployment tick up, something they want. Obviously, we don't want that for our fellow citizens, but it's something that they want. Data continues to support the thesis that maybe they've done enough and maybe they can slide through this entire thing without devastating the stock market, and to a certain extent, not devastating the economy. It's going to be a dance, but I think that's where a lot of people's heads are at. And to some extent, we saw a relief rally yesterday, but some of it was predicated on maybe those thoughts exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. And you just mentioned data. And next week, we're going to have that CPI print for August. Our friend Q, as you Mm, like to call him, Carl Quintanilla, He's quoting Morgan Stanley in a tweet this morning. We expect sequential headline CPI to turn negative in August, a sharp turnaround after a 1.3 month-over-month increase in June on a year-over-year basis. Headline inflation is on track to fall to 7.9%. Okay, well, that's not a huge result, but obviously we had that 
40-year high print. And then he goes on to tweet. This was another one guy talking about, okay, hiking into a slowdown. That's what they're doing. But maybe that's why we start anticipating the way in which they are hiking will continue to slow. And if you look at what's going on with crude, then he's highlighting, obviously, lumber and the Baltic Dry Freight Index. You see that freight you know, costs are going down pretty dramatically. You know, It's either saying that that's reflective of a slowdown or it's done what the Fed has hoped it would do, cool things off a little bit. But I guess the main point is as we get you know, further into the fall, guy, we're going to be coming on one year since the Fed pivoted and took inflation seriously. And, and I really do think that the anniversary of that will be possibly something that investors, strategists, you know, traders, whoever are starting to think about. We're going to offer a trade idea later on in the market call program in a way to play for a pivot, maybe at the one year anniversary or so. Thoughts on that data guy and how it might be received. Yeah, that is a tease. Well, I mean, so there's obviously, I think there are a lot of people that think that the sell-offs or this, let's put it this way, these precipitous declines in the prices of all the things you just outlined were basically created by the Federal Reserve. And there's probably some truth to that, but my sense is that trajectory was in place prior to or along with. Usually you have a six to nine month lag effect, and maybe you start seeing the effects of the Fed raising rates over the next few months. I think that's, you know, I'm not an economist, but that's sort of the way these things typically shake out. But- to your point, a lot of these things are doing the Fed's job for them. Problem, of course, being there's still a stickiness to this inflation that regardless of what happens in the underlying commodities, they sort of can't get their arms around. And I will tell you, and this has happened in the past, just when you think you've defeated, it's like, what's that movie with the kids with the wands? You know, Just when the they Harry think Potter. they killed that Voldemort cat, he yeah. comes back again. And that's what's going on with inflation. You know, you, Just when you think you have it beat, it rears its ugly head. So I don't want people to get too overconfident that somehow this Federal Reserve has figured this out because there will be a time when they pause and the hope is inflation doesn't tick up. The expectation is it will do exactly that. And by the way, 7.9 you know, is significantly lower than 9.1, but it's still nowhere close to where we need to be. And I got to tell you something. It might be easy from 9.1 to 7.9. It might be easy from 7.9 to 6. It ain't going to be all that easy getting it too. As a matter of fact, it's going to be hard-pressed to get there in the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's look at the S&P 500 really quickly. Yesterday, Carter was on with me, Guy. Mm. We were talking about this kind of intermediate-term uptrend that the mm. S&P has on. If you draw a line from those June lows and you attach it to the July intraday reversal low and you get to where we were just earlier in the week, you know, like there's the line in the sand for all intents and purposes here. And so, you know, there's a pretty decent range that you could play if you do think that there was just too much too fast from those kind of mid-August highs to the down side and maybe the data gets a bit better here signaling again that the Fed might be able to pivot maybe that takes some pressure off of equities I'm just curious here you know how much of this S&P range is predicated on what's going on in treasury yields guy because yeah. you know we've been talking about this a lot I obviously you've been all over the volatility that we've seen in yields but the bounce that we've had from that kind of two and a half level from the summer I guess it was early August to where we are right now in the 10-year U.S. Treasury 
yield, and then you have the two-year that looks like it wants to just break out above 3.5%. You were going to say party. party. I know that's yeah. what you were going to say. Yeah, the two-year wants to party here a little bit. And, you know, again, I think to your point, Guy, that if we did see the 10-year yield come in a little bit, that might basically also reinforce some of the things that we were saying, that maybe we are seeing inflation sort of the back at least broken a little bit, and maybe that is just corresponds with a bit of slower growth. All right, so let's toggle back. I'll play the role of Carter Worth. And since Eddie Murphy is the theme of today's show, my girl wants to party all the time, and that's oh, true man, in the yields. It. But let's look yeah. at this chart here because it's interesting you mentioned November because if you look at this chart, as that downtrend line continues to go lower, and over time that's exactly what happens, as uptrend line continues to go higher over time, guess where it's going to converge? Probably at the midpoint of this range, probably around the aforementioned November, which will be a year. Coincidence or not, that's what we're setting up for. So my sense is we sort of knock around this range for a while. I think you know where I think the market's headed. I think you believe that as well. Yeah. But this pennant's going to tell the story and we're in it and we're going to continue to sort of narrow the ranges, which almost by definition means, Dan, we're probably going to see volatility get tapped down as well. We'll see. But if you're just looking at this chart through one lens only, those two lines, the bet is we probably at the lower end of the range, we're probably going to bounce, and we're probably going to continue to trade in more and more narrow ranges. Now, to the next chart quickly, in terms of yields, you look at this, Dan, and I'll tell you, there's a chance that if you want to buy bonds, in other words, you think yields are going lower, the risk-reward sets up really well. Right here, in terms of absolute yield, you have a short-term double top. Obviously, the moving average is still trending higher. But for a trade, and that's what we try to do here, you can probably buy the TLT, which, oh, by the way, traded down to sort of that 108 level, 107.5108, which was the lows we saw back in the fall of 2018. So you might have a decent double bottom in the TLT, decent short-term top in terms of where yields are. And maybe it's right to play yields for going lower in the short term. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You heard me the other day. I mean, I guess I'd play this with a GOVT. That's an ETF, the iShares, U.S. Treasury ETF. You know, the, the TLT is the 20-year, so you're specifically focused on kind of the long end there. And you know my trade guy. It's going to be Q's and, and spoos or something. Nah, Q's and twos. Come on, brother. Q's, I mean, stay with me here a little bit. But not there yet, okay? And just here's the last thing, you know, as far as like we're talking about, you know, how we could rally maybe into that CPI print. We talked about it on Fast Money the other night. Melissa asked me, I mean, to me, I really want to see bank stocks in particular, the XLF. Let's see how they act. They are outperforming today, acting really well here. I just don't see it as a trade on the long side to play this. I see a lot of overhead resistance. And then, you know, to the downside, that huge level that it bounced off of going back to, I don't know, 2018 as support, you know, that's where I want to see if we do see lower lows in the markets after whatever bounce we get here. Let's see how bank stocks act, because if you think about what's going on in Europe, we're going to start hearing a whole heck of a lot about defaults, right, all over the place. Let's see who ex- uh, who's exposed there. Just quick thoughts before we – we got to hit big tech, but thoughts on banks in particular and how they're acting today and what we're likely to see, I guess, with a rate move that you think might come if we do see the 10-year It's been a relative outperformance to your point. That's okay. But as you know, because you've pointed out a number of times, banks haven't traded – particularly well. I mean, let's put it this way. The money center banks haven't traded particularly well. Goldman Sachs since earnings has traded well, but the JP Morgan's of banks, Wells Fargo City, they haven't traded all that well. Obviously made those lows for JP Morgan. I think what we get down to, Dan, about 106 or so. Yeah. And we've seen the bounce, but 
the bounce has been paltry at best. I mean, it's not all that awe-inspiring. And when you think about where a name like J.P. Morgan was and what the tape has done in the interim, it's not that impressive. The environment, although banks are probably better capitalized than they've ever been, the environment just isn't great. And you think about loan loss provisions are probably going to start to come up, credit concerns, are there going to be demand for loans, all those different things doesn't augur particularly well for the banks. At a certain point, a lot of these names are going to get really interesting just in terms of valuation. JP Morgan's going to be one of them. I just don't think we're there yet. Yeah, no, I hear you. All right, let's quickly hit what's going on in mega cap tech here. And I mm. think it's interesting. You mentioned I'm at this code conference. In, in the last 24 hours, Andy Jazzy, the CEO of Amazon, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of the Alphabet, all spoke here. And, you know, again, you know, it wasn't really about anything going on specific in the quarter. They all kind of hit the macro environment. And there's a lot of challenges. I mean, I think that is really clear. And I think any of those individuals not kind of speaking to that would not be doing, I guess, their investors or, or any of us too much of justice here. But I do think it's interesting that the market after yesterday's action, you know, just right out of the gate, we saw a green opening and then you saw these major tech names kind of sell off here. Apple's down about one and a half percent. It's a bit off the lows. You know, just pulling up the charts, ripping through them real quickly, Guy. I mean, Apple's at a pretty crucial level. The underperformance, I think, of late is kind of notable during, you know, just at least yesterday and what we're trying to see here, but they're all kind of at big levels here, mm-hmm. man. So you see Apple, this 152 level, that was the low the other day. If you look at Amazon, it filled in that earnings gap here. And I would say that's a significant technical level. The alphabet, it really can't get out of its own way. It's had a pretty sharp Trades decline. Awful. Yeah, it does trade very poorly. And you see if it goes into that kind of that support zone, that is the danger zone. And then lastly, Microsoft here, it's on this little bit of an uptrend, but it is not far off of those June lows. Thoughts on these names because to me they really do hold the key here for the for the broad market yeah well if we could toggle all the way back to apple i happen to agree with you by the way this is a theme that you've pointed out literally since we've been doing market call the importance of these names to the broader market but apple i know you know on mondays and wednesdays dan as you know we do market call each day of the week except friday unless something happens on a friday on monday and wednesdays we have carter worth and carter talked about it a few weeks ago when apple was 173 basically what he thought was going to happen, how it was going to play out. It happened to a T. I thought 150 was the level. I'll stand by that. I really haven't wavered all that much. 150 being sort of the 50% retracement of the June low-ish and the recent high that we saw of 173.5, 174. It makes sense. And maybe the level's enough here that you know you could start taking money off the table if you've been playing from the short side or playing it vis-a-vis puts. In terms of Mr. Softy, which is a really unfortunate name, go to that Microsoft <laughs> chart before we bring... EY from SoFi, and I'm sure she's snickering like a schoolgirl right now on the back of that. But yes, this trend line's important. And I'll tell you, go back again just to do it for shits and giggles, as they say, and look at the quarter they reported. That quarter was not great by Microsoft standards. Again, the stock closed that day around 254. In the aftermarket, it was 242. They made comments about not seeing demand destruction. The stock subsequently went to 290, right to the moving averages, and failed. My sense is on a benign to squishy tape, we're going to test the levels we saw a month and a half or two months or so ago, and we'll see how it shakes out from there. But the importance of these names cannot be underestimated, nor can the importance of EY from SoFi, who joins us on this Thursday, gleaming with joy that her (laughs) Packers of Green Bay will start yet another season on the gridiron. 
I believe this Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Sunday by the way, not to rub salt in the wounds. That is a lovely dress, by the way. I thought it was a blouse, but it's a dress, as you pointed out. The Brewers have really shit Ugh. the bed over the last couple months. Thoughts Nine and a half games we, back. Yeah. Nine I, and a half I, games. I still had a glimmer of hope when we yeah. were like five and a half games back. Now we're nine and a half. And as we all know, the season really ends after this month, unless you go further. So we'll see. It's not looking good. <laughs> so now all my money's on the pack. You've heard Dan and I wax poetic. We've had some similar views, some counter trend views. I mean, but that's what makes markets. Quick thoughts before we get into yet another just theme that you brought out just to sort of irritate me. Yeah. So I took a lot of notes, actually, when you guys were talking. You a lot of good content today. As well, opposed to... <laughs> days when I don't take as many notes. <laughs> So I want to talk about the twos first, because you can do a short term trade here or a little bit longer term trade. I agree with Dan. I would buy the twos here instead of buying something longer term, because think about what might happen next week. If we get a negative month over month CPI number, people will be elated and it will change the way that they're thinking about what the Fed is going to do for the next three to four months. And that is best represented in the two year. So I think that probably sees a big rally if we do see a month over month contraction in CPI, which it's setting up to be that way. You've got gas prices having gone down for the whole month. You've got a lot of other components, especially goods components that are coming down. So it's looking like that's going to be the case. I do think it's a nice place to buy. You know, I also think it's okay to buy the 10 year here and buy longer term treasuries, but that really does require a better view about a recession. And I don't think anybody has a good view about that. Liz, talk to us a little bit. You heard what we had to say about large cap stocks here. Yep. We know that you are have an infatuation with small caps here. A couple of weeks a ago on Market Call, I laid out a bearish trade idea that I put on in the options market on the IWM, the ETF that tracks small caps here. And just real quickly here, you see the chart, you see that downtrend, you see the recent breakout of it, but the kind of check back to that downtrend. I'm not asking you on the chart here. I had a good trade going a couple days ago here. I had a, almost a double in this thing. But now I have to kind of manage this trade idea. It's September expiration. It was the September 184, 170 foot spread. If it holds that line to me, like today is a really important day, the outperformance in the Russell here. So I'm going to be cutting this one just for people who are following along here. It's a small loser now. It was a double. I took a little profits on that one when it was up there. Talk to me, Liz, a little bit about small caps versus what we just had to say about the mega caps just dominating the S&P 500. Yeah, well, look, everything kind of retraced and, and tested its downtrend. Small caps were not benign to that. Here's what I would say about just broad market retesting lows. Think about if we are able to avert disaster, look at history and history is only a guide. And at this point, honestly, history is barely a guide. But if you look at what happened in the early 80s, we've talked and I'm going to talk about this in my note. We've talked a lot about earnings. We've talked a lot about retesting lows and maybe making newer lows. What happened in the early 80s was it was a double dip recession. That first dip didn't quite take care of inflation. Earnings contracted by less than 5%. I would argue that we're about right there right now. So that's pretty close. We had a, technically a recession in the first half of this year that did not take care of inflation. Earnings have contracted less than 5%. The market went down quite a bit in that period in the early 80s. Then you get to 1982, the market happened about a month after I was born. Obviously, it did not see good prospects for what our future held, but it bottomed. It did not make new lows. It did not blow through those prior lows. However, earnings contracted by almost 20% in that period. So 
the argument here is that even with large caps, we don't have to make new lows, even if earnings contract. Will the market go back down? Sure. Will we go into recession? Possibly. But will it all take care of inflation? Yes. So I just want to put that out there as I think there's a lot of people painting a, it has to be a disaster in order to fix this or we're going to completely be OK. It might really fall somewhere in the middle. Now, for small caps, just to wrap this up, small caps strength has clearly been driven by dollar strength. And given my affinity for small caps, I'm usually excited when the dollar is strong because it means that our economy is likely doing better than most other economies on the on the planet and that small caps are going to benefit from it. Now, if the dollar starts to weaken, we're going to see a headwind there. This is one that if you were doing this as a trade, I would be careful here. I probably wouldn't move on it. In my personal portfolio, I'm not going to move on it because I want to wait and see how the odds fall for recession in the next two months. Our crack production staff has put a dollar chart up as you were speaking because that's what that's how we roll here on Market Call. And if you look, I mean, very defined uptrend. Carter Worth had a great call earlier this summer thinking that in the short term, it was going to pull back the dollar. That's exactly what happened. We thought it would trade to the trend line. It did. And I think with the ECB hiking 75 and the potential for this Federal Reserve, again, we'll talk about it in a minute with Dan's trade, to potentially pause, maybe it's time to take some money off the table in the dollar here. I still think the uptrend is intact. But with that said, you've seen pullbacks along the way, and we might be on the verge of one now. In keeping with the Eddie Murphy theme, because that's what I do. It's amazing. We don't rehearse this shit, by the way, people. I just want you to know. But Dan <laughs> brought it up, and I just sort of ran with it. Uh, there was a great scene, obviously, in the movie Coming to America when the aforementioned Mr. Murphy was mopping the floor, and he found his way into the office of the owner of McDowell's, and he talked about the football game he had seen the night before. He saw the Packers of Green Bay play the Giants of New York. It was a lovely game. They kicked an oblong ball. Through the uprights. Well, here you go. Right to your note. You were channeling your inner Eddie Murphy with this note. Still between the uprights. Well, yes, they are, except they keep moving the goalposts. See what I did there? That is true. That is, they keep moving it closer. Everything keeps getting closer. Still between the, I mean, I had to do a football theme. I thought this would tick you off less than country music and journey. I mean, this is, this is an improvement, I think. Yes. Anyway, earnings are still between the uprights. And for the last couple quarters, all three of us, I think, and I'll put myself in this camp, absolutely, have been warning everybody that earnings were going to be revised downward, and then it just keeps not happening. Now, yes, the goal has gotten a little bit easier to accomplish, and that continues to surprisingly trick markets, but they still have not gone down as much as you would think they should. So when you look at even what's happened in 2022 earnings, down, I think, 1% from peak, 2023 down about 3% from peak. But here's an interesting thing to think about mathematically. 2023 earnings are down 3% from peak. If they get revised down just 6% more, it will mean no growth year over year. Now put inflation in that equation, and obviously we're negative when you adjust for that. So if 2023 earnings come down another 6%, we're flat year over year from 2022, That would require, in order for us to not go into recession, that would require strength from a few other places in the economy. Also, keeping in mind that the sector makeup of the market is much different today than it was 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So we need tech to really pull their weight to make up for that earnings growth. We need energy as a small component to not be the only one that is incredibly positive. So we need to see this broaden out and we need to see not huge revisions. My worry point is if we get to downward revisions beyond 10% 
2023, that's when we've got negative year over year growth. And I think it's a problem. Yeah. You know, Liz, so you're talking about who's going to do that heavy lifting. You're saying big cap tech. And again, you know, I've heard a lot of tech CEOs just in the last, let's call it 48 hours, speak about this. They seem a bit worried about the macro here, the level of uncertainty, the strength of the dollar, the fear of just a really long protracted, you know, recession in Europe and what that means for their sales and and how that might flow over here. Obviously, you know, China still with this zero COVID. And so again, you know, this this is a great segue, Liz. And and, and again, your your note is very thoughtful. And I think it's really important because a lot of investors are going to start thinking about a lot of strategists like yourself are going to to move on from 2022. No matter what happens here, that might be baked into the cake as it relates to, you know, valuations and, and that sort of thing for right now. And they're going to start mm-hmm. focused on the next year, which, mm-hmm. you know, brings us to, you know, John Butters. And we preview his earnings insight note from FactSet every Thursday on market call here. And I think this is a great tie-in. And I'd love to get your take here, Liz, because he's saying that in his note that drops tomorrow on FactSet, 239 S&P 500 companies have cited recession on Q2 earnings calls, which is the highest number going back at least 10 years. The previous record since 2010 was 212. The financials, 53, and industrials, 36 of them. Sectors have the highest number of S&P 500 companies citing recession on Q2 earnings. Now, you just said, you know, technically we had a recession in the first half. It was kind of explained away here. I just think you've been watching markets for a very long time, not as long as Guy and myself here. When companies start eking out that sort of data and using the R word, it usually means that there's worse stuff to come here. So just thoughts on Butter's note and how it ties into what you just wrote. Well, one thing I would say here, think about the sectors that we're looking at. You've got financials, real estate, industrials. Financials and industrials are two sectors, and, and never underestimate this as an investor, two sectors that have not been able to get out of their own way from a performance standpoint this year. Financials is the second lowest PE in the index right now. So I don't think that CEOs and just leadership at a lot of financials and industrials firms are feeling great about how their stock has been trading. So it's probably easier for them to talk about a recession. Also easier as a financial because you make money on the long end of the yield curve. And we've got this curve inversion that is very clearly sending recession signals. I am not surprised that financials are saying that. And if you remember a note that I wrote from a few weeks ago called home is where the hard landing is, (laughs) anybody in the real estate market is going to feel like there's a recession coming. So I don't think any of this is too surprising. But to your point, when CEOs start to use the R word, they really try to wait as long as possible to do that. So now that they're freely throwing it around, I think it's really something to pay attention to. Before we let you go, Sunday at 425, the Packers, the aforementioned of Green Bay, will be playing the Vikings of Minnesota. Week one, how do you feel about your season quickly, your prognosis for this game? I mean, I always feel good. I'm a spoiled Packer fan. We basically show up at least every year. This would it would be great if this were the year, because you know what? This might be Rogers last year. I know we say that every single year. I feel like this might really be it. And after that, we need you know a few years to rebuild a little bit. So this might be the chance. I hope we can pull it off. But the bills are going to be tough. I like that. Hope springs eternal in the frozen tundra <laughs> of Green Bay. And are you going on vacation? Just we have to alert our fan base if that's in fact the case. Well, not on vacation yet, but next week is conference season, so I'll be at all kinds of different events, so I will not be here. I'll be on vacation at the end of the month and completely out of pocket, as they say. 
Well, you know we dig you. We love having you on. You do your conference season. You enjoy it. You enjoy Sunday. And thank you once again for joining us here on Market Call. Dan Nathan, you like Thanks bringing us. trades with you from time to time. And this is right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, you know, guys, so we were talking about what a Fed pivot might look like. And again, you know, if you listen to our podcast that we do each week on the tape with our friend Danny Moses, who pops on Market Call every so often. Also, we had a bet earlier in the summer where he thought that the Fed, because the economy was going to slow so dramatically and them hiking into it, which would only make it much worse, that the Fed is going to actually go from raising rates to cutting rates. Well, I, I didn't think that was going to happen here, but you and I were just kind of laying it out. A one-year sort of anniversary you know, of the Fed's pivot from being very dovish to obviously suggesting that they were going to get very hawkish in November might be an interesting trade. And there's going to be lots of different ways to express that. I just wanted to pull the GLD chart up here because we've talked a lot about this. And if you go back and you think of where GLD was you know, during that kind of time where the Fed was thinking about you know, going from easy to hawkish, we had that huge flight to, I guess, what you call quality guy when you know Russia invaded Ukraine here. And, you know, just talk to me a little bit about these GLD charts. And then I'm going to get to the trade here because, you know, the one year you see that downtrend, it's pretty well defined. You see that little double bottom and then maybe it's just too near term. But if you back it out and you want to look at a multi-year chart, you see this current level 159 and as a really big level. Tell me why it should hold. And let me give you a trade idea in which to define your risk and play it. Well, I mean, for technical reasons, this should be huge support, right? I mean, obviously, inflation is still a problem. So gold should still be not the asset of sort of last resort, but it should be in people's portfolio, number one. By the way, you have central banks that have been buying gold as well. So physical demand has been there. It's not manifested itself in the price. But if you go back to that prior chart, and this is obviously longer term support, but let's toggle back real quick. This looks like something, and I'll use the term at these support levels, a bit spring-loaded, against this downtrend line. And if we were to go back and take a look at that downtrend and break through it to the upside, there's a very good chance we go to that moving average, which is sort of flatlining to slightly lower. We've seen it before in a number of different things. Now, if what you say comes to fruition in the time frame that you say it, gold will be where everybody flocks to. Bitcoin will be as well. So this trade is really interesting to me that you're about to line up. And I think the levels sort of speak for themselves as to where we are right now. Yeah. So I was going to say, hold on to your chair here, because this is a trade that I'm literally thinking about executing today. And again, I really like the risk reward of it, especially lining up the technicals, a thought of what the Fed might do in the coming months here and how investors are going to express those sorts of views. So the GLD, the ETF that tracks gold today when it's trading around 159, you could look to November expiration. Again, that would be like the one-year anniversary of the Fed really kind of focused on inflation and kind of changing that narrative away from it being transitory. But you could buy the November 160, 175 call spread, paying about $2.50 for that. You'd be buying one of the November 160 calls for about three and a quarter, selling one of the November 175 calls at about 75 cents. That $2.50 in premium, that is your max risk on the trade. You have profits of up to $12.5 between 162 and a half. 
half. That is the strike, the long call strike, plus the premium that you're paying for the spread and between 175 with a max gain of 12 and a half bucks above 175. Losses of up to 250 between 162 and a half and 160 with a max loss of 250 below 160 here. And when I think about this trade and I think about the risk reward, this is basically one and a half percent of the underlying ETF price. I have a break even only up about 2%, a little more than 2%, and a max potential gain of 8% of the ETF price if it's up 10% in two months. Now, 10% may sound like a lot, but let me tell you something. If the Fed were to change their tune after the largest increase in Fed funds rate over such a short period mm-hmm. of time, I think in decades, Guy, you know, you're going to see things like gold kind of move fairly quickly. And I think you make a great point, is that even if inflation comes down. Let's say it gets to the mid-single digits, okay? And let's say, you know, the Fed has been targeting 4% by year end. That's not really happening. It's still really high on a historical basis. The last thing I'll say about a trade idea and something like this, when I'm expressing a directional view with long premium, and that's what I'd be doing here, I like to use a mental stop of about 50% of the premium that I am spending. So for instance, if GLD were to go lower or go nowhere, and these premiums were start to erode here, here. When it got to about a dollar and a quarter or so, I'd look to cut and take my losses here. And the flip side, if it were to get going to the upside and that two and a half dollars was worth five dollars, I might look to take half off there. So that's my GLD trade in the options market. Guy. I like that trade a lot. I'd like the time frame. You're giving yourself probably a full two months, which I think should be enough time. That theta bleed that you speak of. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah, I see what it's you obviously did there, a concern, buddy. but if you nail this, if, if the timing of this is right, I don't think that's going to be a problem. So that's well done. I love these trades that you outline here on Market Call. I think it gives the audience something to think about, Dan, as we yeah. finish this day and we head into a Friday. I've enjoyed this. By the way, Anything interesting out there you want to share with us? Who are you seeing today before we get Audi 5000? Yeah, well, most of the talks are done here, and it was a great conference. I will tell you this. Last night, Kara Swisher had Tim Cook, who's the current CEO of Apple, who took over for Steve Jobs. He had Steve Jobs' ex-wife, Lorraine Powell Jobs, and then Johnny Ive, who is the kind of the, the design inspiration for all of these products we all have in our pockets and, and, and looking in front of us. And it was really a panel of a reflection of his life and kind of some of his inspiration and how they continue to be inspired through their work through him. And it was really fascinating. So, you know, just to have, you know, those legends on stage with Kara and she was deeply moved. So it was a kind of cool thing. I will say one other thing that didn't really come out, I don't think in the press, and we've spent a lot of time talking about mega cap tech, I guess on the employment side, shedding jobs. You know, Andy Jazzy, the CEO of Amazon said that they're probably going to be a net hirer over the next one year or so. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And again, this jobs picture, guy. It's the last thing that seems very confusing about this economic puzzle right now that the markets and many investors like us are trying to figure out. And as I'm sitting here, it's unfortunate news is crossing the wire. The Queen Elizabeth has passed away. And think about it. I mean, she took the throne during the Truman administration. It's a remarkable run. You know, obviously an elegant woman. I mean, for us to express our condolences is meaningless, but I think we do. So, Listen, Dan, enjoy the rest of the conference. I want to thank everybody for joining us. That's it for today's Market Call. I want to thank EY from SoFi. Check out her blog every Thursday at SoFi.com slash blog. Follow her on Twitter. If you don't, I know you are already. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and Open Exchange. We will see you on Monday. Enjoy the rest of your day, folks. Thanks, bud.